shit is so wild right now on the internet. I'm like, is Neopets going to come back? Are we going to all have to go back to Neopets to Maybe. like market ourselves? I mean, Tamagotchis yep. are back. Oh, yeah. Or Tamagotchis. I have a story outline coming up that could possibly involve Tamagotchi in a way I'm really hoping will get approved, but I think definitely won't. My lockdown gift to myself was an Evangelion Tamagotchi. It, I imagine it's still alive, knowing you. Actually, well, it ran out of batteries because I loved it that hard. So it came unplugged uh, from the cord yeah. thing. You know, yeah, it got, it, it's a uh, umbilical cable got unplugged, but it's wild. I loved the shit out of that thing. And like, it was always like, you could hatch Kauru. And I'm like, I have to do this 24-7. I was like looking up all the tutorials and stuff. That checks that's out. A, that's a good lockdown gift, honestly. Yep. Yeah, uh, not all of us can make a movie with our family in lockdown. No, this that's bitch, true. I, I I don't know how sci-fi they'll let me make it, or if it's set exactly in 1999 or earlier. But my idea is to make the Y2K bug be the hive mind vengeance intelligence of all the angry, neglected Tamagotchis. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified. The show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> uh, good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about what might be my vote for at least one of the, if not the, best horror movie of 2022. Uh, a, a hidden gem, I would say, uh, a little film called Hellbender. Uh, I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary, my co-host, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? I think I'm starting to figure out full car. I think I'm starting to figure out. You fuck around for an hour 15, whether that's good fucking around or bad fucking around. And then in the last 12 minutes, you remember you're a movie and you pull out the craziest fucking shit like the audience has ever seen. That's where it's at. And the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? Good. That's my shit, man. This is my shit. I have one complaint about this movie, but I will get to that later. And our guest tonight, the writer of Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer, Dungeons and Dragons, Ravenloft, Archie Horror Comics, and My Little Pony Comics, comics and horror writer, Casey Gilly. Casey, how are you tonight? Good. I... I love hearing all of these reactions to folk horror because I became a parent six years ago. And what people don't tell you before you become a parent is that that is folk horror. Welcome <laughs> to it. It's yours for legally 18 years. And it's just so fun finding out, fucking around and finding out for a really long time. Oh, yeah. I've got two of them. So they're, they continue to horrify me every day. You, they, like, you went little... for the sequel. Yeah. Do, Jeremy, do they like My Little Pony or is that just like dad's job? The younger one still likes My Little Pony. The old one is a teenager, so she is officially. Oh, definitely. No, too no, old that, to that's like not My happening. Pony yeah, now. Yep. She is also the one that when the first time I told her I was writing a My Little Pony comic, she said, Me too. So <laughs> the, the equal parts putting me in my place, but also like, Yeah, go for it. You do it. You really got to um, love yeah. that. That. That childhood valley like childhood i love you teenager i hate this thing like slow march to adult it's like nah this thing fucking rolled i love i like it again and have money now yeah i can buy things for it things were simpler back when i liked this thing 
All right. Uh, I'm doing the recap on this one, so I'm going to go through this pretty fast so we have a lot of time to talk about it because I feel like there's a lot of talking to be done on this one. This movie is directed and written by John Adams, Zelda Adams, and Toby Poser. It is a family movie. It stars Zelda Adams, Toby Poser, and Lulu Adams. Zelda is Izzy, the, the kid in the story, and Toby plays mother. Mother doesn't have a name other than mother. And then uh, Lulu is the, the friend Amber who will show up later. So we open with a, a woman in some sort of period in which they're hanging witches who is being hung by a group of women. It doesn't work out. They shoot her several times after she continues to live after being hung uh, until eventually somebody moves to stab her and she catches fire and launches into the sky. Cut to present. Um, I thought that was a gender reveal party. <laughs> that's what most gender reveal parties look like. That's so how I want to go, though. Someone tries to kill me and just space. <laughs> yeah, so we have uh, Mother Daughter Rock Band, Hellbender. They play a hot song. They all have, like, they play a lot of music that's in this movie, and it's all pretty fucking awesome. That's the most impressive thing about this is so often songs in movies played by people in the movie are not good. These are good. So mother is going to town and her daughter Izzy wants to come with, but there is a clear understanding she cannot, though we don't yet know why. A man in town identifies, is is clear that he knows the mom, but that she hasn't aged. He is clearly an older man, and he says that she was his mom's nurse, which seems impossible unless something's going on. Mom comes home and does some distinctly witchy shit in the forest, making up some wards and, and asking to be heard by something she brings home a bunch of food from the forest lots of twigs and berries and mushrooms and stuff and uses her witchy finger painting to spy on her daughter drawing eyes and touching them with her hand covering her other eye the daughter meets a, a lost hiker who mentions that his niece lives nearby uh, and she's about izzy's age izzy says she's sick and the man can't come near her uh and that's why she doesn't want to interact with him uh mom shows up and finds the hiker there and is uh, none too happy sends Izzy back home and presumably is leading the man out of the forest. It's always a good sign when the strange woman you meet in the forest asks if uh, you have a wife or kids. Uh, You should always say yes, I guess. Because he doesn't. He says no. And then he gets levitated and turned to dust. Mom then talks to and slaughters a deer in the forest to do some other related magic. Izzy decides to go looking for this niece who supposedly lives the next mountain over and finds her, Amber, Uh, out swimming in a pool. Amber is a very teenager, offering Izzy a beer and making cool jokes about how when she said she's sick, she's like, what, you got an STD? Which annoyed me, which is how I know it was real teenager speech. (laughs) Mom goes to visit her cool room with the impossibly old pictures of her and a whispering book. To get in, she has to put her hand on a sigil on the door and a key pops out of her flesh. Neat trick. Pretty gross. You don't have that? No, I don't have one of those rooms. Oh. My house is, is like less than 10 years old. So, yeah, they stopped doing rooms. that yeah. mid 80s. It's, the flesh locks are just an old house thing, I guess. Oh, you can get I it. I mean, installed. I will say you can get that specialty ordered, but like it does cost a lot, which is great for my company because the fucking the margins on that are really You got to be sweet. sure there's a picture on the listing too, because flesh lock is, is a lot of different things. Oh, yeah, really. It's really hard to get like a house sitter if you have one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it's the one room. 
I do like the implication, though, that, like, it generates an entirely new key every time. And it just has, like, so many fucking keys. I feel like the key I, I really like, like that implication. But she keeps putting it down, and it's just, like, a fucking night table full of keys. Oh, I didn't see that. Or there's no bones in her hand. But or she's a swinger, and those are different keys. Mm. Ah, there you go. Um, um, Mom has prophetic dreams about Izzy uh, calling her a liar and being pulled away into darkness. Izzy clearly has a crush on Amber and steals her barrettes and uh, learns that the house that she's actually swimming at isn't isn't her house at all, but belongs to some city people who uh, who don't actually live up here and they're trespassing in a pool. She's been doing this the whole time. So Idiots she... is what she calls them, which is... Yes. Yes, city hits. Izzy uh, is is now inspired to like want to go out and do things. Amber has said that you know she should come play a party when she has one at some point. So Izzy is is asking mom about uh, going out and playing music. Mom shuts that shit down quick, which leads Izzy to go back to hang out with Amber and Amber's friends this time, uh, as they have a a pool party at this place where they're trespassing. She plays some drums for them, and they do shots of tequila. Uh, one of the boys, whose name I've already forgotten because he doesn't matter, puts a live worm in one of the cups of tequila and Izzy ends up drinking it and immediately starts freaking out and seeing things and having a uh, weird vision, looking very stoned for the most part. And <laughs> does an incredible scream. The man who owns the house shows up in the middle of this and chases them all off into the woods. And now Izzy is, is tripping balls in the woods and with nothing but Amber's bathing suit uh, on she looks like maybe she's going to kiss Amber, at which point Amber says she's not gay, but she knows some friends that Izzy, she can introduce Izzy to, which I guess is sort of a middling response to somebody trying to kiss you. It's not the worst. Um, yeah. Izzy then grabs Amber by the throat, which is, is not how to respond to that. I mean, yeah, like that's that could have been the response. Like that would that, for example, would have been a worse response. Yeah. Amber tells her to fuck off uh, and takes off into the woods, which, you know, in. If you're watching the movie, you're like, that's harsh. But also some some rando I met twice grabbed me by the throat in the woods. I would also probably tell them to fuck off. Yeah, I got to say, Amber's response to things in this movie does feel pretty spot on, even if it very much does not work out for her. Yeah, I mean, she's a real one. Sort yeah, of. I mean, she, she is did, a real one. She's a real one, although she did allow dismissal of the vegetarianism. Pretty. Yeah, the whole worm of, thing was fucked up. Yeah. But yeah. in terms of like fucked up things teenagers do, listen. Yeah, that's if a weird girl true. wanders up to the house that you're squatting in, you befriend her, you lend her a bathing suit, which is really intimate. Yeah. And then like maybe she's gonna kiss you and you're a supportive queen and you're like, that is not my thing, but I'll set you up. And then this girl grabs you by the throat. Like, come on. Like, I think that Amber oh, was yeah. in her best here. Yeah, yeah. Amber was yeah. actually. Amber, yeah, especially Amber after also the like, I'm also not into that. Sorry. I think yeah. AJ, I, I really, I put the blame on AJ for being the weird, like, no, you have to drink the worm. That's the rules. Yeah. Like, yeah. Calm down, AJ. This isn't your fucking pool even. Yeah. This isn't your friend. You didn't find yeah. this girl and give her a bathing suit. Let's yeah. listen to uh, what Lou, what Amber wants to do. Yeah, the, the other girl whose name I've already forgotten is is also perfectly reasonable. It's like, no, we shouldn't make her do that. Um, yeah, her only flaw is that she's not very good at drums, which is a yeah. flaw I also share. So who am I to Me judge? Too. Yeah, Relatable teenagers. Yeah. yeah. Izzy uh, tries try. to go back to get her clothes, 
but runs into the owner of the house. He says he's going to call the cops and she needs to come with him. And we get a hard cut to Izzy's mom watching her return back to the house. Izzy fesses up to everything except not telling her mom about what exactly happened to this man or that this man was there. As far as the going to the pool and everything, she's like, that all happened. Izzy's mom admits that she's not, in fact, sick. She's dangerous. That's why she keeps her locked up. Mom tells Izzy that the worm made her freak out because she consumed life and the fear of death. And that's where magic comes from. And they are they are hellbenders. They are witches of a sort to consume life to do magic. Mom finds Izzy in the forest looking at caterpillars and asks if she plans on eating them because the hairs get stuck in your teeth. She then suggests that Izzy will get more power if she eats something bigger and smarter like a rat or a dog or a deer. At which point Izzy asks what happens if she eats a person and Mom's like, then you'll know true power. Then Izzy asks if this is a dream and they both wake up. So <laughs> Mom, Mom has been giving dream advice that she should not be giving to Izzy and Izzy has, has taken it to heart. Also, credit to that caterpillar. That's why they evolved those hairs. Yeah. So you wouldn't eat them. Yeah. That's just, that, that's just good caterpillar evolution doing its job. Works on birds, works on demons. Yeah. Wooly bear caterpillar turns like, into a moth, turns into, a, I believe, a sphinx moth. And real, real witchcraft knowledge here. Apparently, you can tell the way the year is going to turn out weather-wise by observing the stripe on a woolly, cater- woolly bear caterpillar's body. So depending on the stripe, you can tell it's going to be a wet year or dry year. That's really cool. Man, also, unfortunately, now most years, the wing just starts catching on fire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have other means now, just like mom said. I we mean, don't have to be like do that anymore. But I'm sorry I made that bleak. No, it's okay. <laughs> now, okay, so now mom knows she has to teach Izzy something. She takes her out and splits a caterpillar with her and tries to teach her how to make a flower on a dead twig. Uh, Izzy tries, and the twig starts pouring blood. Oops. That's why she can't leave the mountains. Now we have a montage of Izzy learning magic over another cool hellbender number. Izzy is doing some increasingly suspicious shit that mom tries to overlook. When mom goes to consult her vision book, she sees a vision of Izzy turning to dust and disappearing. Apparently it's been a year now since the summer or sometime the next year. Mom goes to town and Izzy goes to hang out with the whispering spell book in the secret room. She sees visions of the opening scene of the movie as well as Someone in a goat mask making a big fire. Then she spies on Amber some. Mom and Izzy go on a walk, and there's a lot of bones around for some reason. Stripped completely clean. Uh, Nobody knows anything about how these bones got here, but Izzy thinks it's beautiful. And Mom says it's not right or wrong, it's just the nature of the thing. At which point, Izzy asks the question of what is their nature? Mom says it's dark, but you can learn how to starve that nature out. They're called hellbenders. Because they're powerful and therefore hated. Uh, They were said to have turned away from heaven and bent toward hell. She is still lying to Izzy about various things, saying she learned everything she knows from her mom. But Izzy has already figured out that's not true. It's been consulting her weird book. They're having a a learning session when uh, an officer shows up. He thinks that there's a rabid mountain lion who's been responsible for a few disappearances including a a man dying and another man disappearing. Wants to know if they've seen any carcasses. They say they haven't, but uh, Izzy suggests that maybe it's a hellbender. You know, it's like a witch or a demon or something. 
mom doesn't like that too much, but the officer's like, huh, kids in your imagination. The mom's reaction to that, just being like, shut up. Yeah. This fucking park ranger who his teeth are so white and who won't stop smiling. Yeah. yeah. He's so I've smiley, been... this park ranger. He made it, right? Yeah. Yes, he survived. He okay. Yes, well, they, did not, they did not attack. They didn't attack him, but like, listen, I don't think anybody survives. I just don't. I mean, I mean on a long, long enough time, in the long enough timeline, none of us. Yeah. No, 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 no. We're all we're all doomed. But I mean, Izzy just, probably just murders the whole town by the end. Yeah. I feel like that's what happens. I mean, she needs bass strings. Who's gonna sell? Who's gonna provide the bass strings? Well, I mean, Cat like- was used for strings at some point, so maybe she's just gonna like demon DIY her own. Demon DIY is a show I would watch. Me too. I feel like you only need to murder your way through one guitar center if you only need to keep one bass restringed. Like I feel like one. They're well stocked. I feel like one well stocked guitar center should keep you going for a good while. It depends on how you play. Let me just say that. Yeah. So mom, mom finds a dead wolf that's been partially consumed. She decides that she's going to spy on Izzy some, but it doesn't work. And then. Mom is like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep teaching her things, and tries to feed her a worm. And Izzy just wants more. There's a scene of them playing with cars, and uh, the mom says, "I love you so much, I could eat you up. If you break my heart, I'll devour you," which is a quite a line. That's not how you tuck your kids in. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. I haven't started saying that yet. Um, Way to bury the lead, mom. Seriously. <laughs> If he doesn't hear it from me, he's going to hear it from somebody else from TikTok. Yeah. Mom sure was on top of that. Like, when, did, when she was like, oh, she's going to be pissed off if, about the lying. Okay, I really need to come clean or else this is going to be like a lifetime movie of some sort. And instead of a death time. <laughs> yeah. Mom Sorry. didn't come clean enough fast enough. Yeah. Um, Mom does decide to share her secret stash of maggots, the great death eaters. So they go wrestle in the snow and do some magic, throw a blood on each other's faces. It's a fun scene. There's, I feel like, Thanks, I feel like pretty much the entire act two of this movie, where most movies would have like a plot happen. This movie was just like, we came up with Hellbenders. We're so excited about this new creature we came up with. And we're going to spend half an hour explaining all the rules of it. And how it works because it's awesome. It's like a witch, but also a demon, and they yeah. reproduce like I, and they reproduce like Wonder Woman. It's great. Does Wonder Woman eat her mom? I don't think it's oh, like I guess Wonder that Woman. Is how that works. Yeah. So I guess I was more just focusing on women, on just an all women. Yeah, like the really sexual say, reproduction. Yeah, yeah. I guess I wasn't really factoring in the part where you got a Sith Lord rule of two it up. Yeah, I also like. I'm really into their girl dinner. I think it's great. I wish that that meme had been around then because this is probably like the prototype for girl dinner movie, for real. Yeah, yeah. We we find out that uh, Grandma was a monster who ate half half of a village, including friends and children, and was so upset about all that that she sewed her own mouth shut. We find out that Grandma, like all Hellbenders, died the same way. They repeat this thing that comes on throughout spring, eat summer, fall, or Summer eats spring, fall eats summer, and so on. You find out that mom's 147. When asked how old she gets, she says that's up to Izzy. 
Uh, Izzy decides to go uh, track down Amber in town so she can finally give her back her swimsuit, presumably a year later. And uh, this is where Izzy finally is like, hey, did you hear about that guy who chases off of his pool? Apparently he was mauled by a wild animal. So Izzy has been at this killing people for since the beginning, it would seem. I um, think the park ranger would have mentioned that. Well, the park ranger said somebody was mauled by a wild animal and somebody disappeared. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mentioned it. I do want to go back to the mother revealing her own mother's death. And I feel like if we hadn't seen that death and we were just being told the story, this whole summer eat spring, fall eat summer, like would feel like this poignant message that gets it across, like this passing of the generations and the seasons. But we saw the death and that while poignant doesn't explain what exactly made her combust and then shoot into outer space. I, I mean, still kind of need an explanation on well, how the fuck that happened. It's magic. You Which can't kill a hellbender unless you eat them. So she, I, assumedly, she came back down again and then they had to eat her in order to like... It's like when you flip a pancake into the air. Yeah. Yeah, she was cooked. At least she was cooked. What right? in the yellow jackets are we talking about? I know, right? Okay. So, so uh, we're almost to the grand climax here. Uh, yeah, she sorry, tries... I just just need to bring that up. She tries to give Amber back her stuff, uh, and Amber throws it back at her and tells her to back the fuck off because Amber is, is not cool with the amount of stalking that has gone on. Then we get another hard cut, and Mom is looking for Izzy, and the key to her book room is missing. When she puts her hand on the door, it doesn't do the thing. Uh, and so is the book. Mom finds the book in Izzy's room. Uh, and when she touches it, not only does it show her uh, what Izzy did to the man, it connects her to Izzy, who recites to her a metal ass poem about a wolf that decided to be a sheep and broke its teeth and raised its daughter to be a sheep. But then the daughter turned into a wolf and ate the sheep. Yeah, that's pretty metal. Izzy introduces her to Amber in this little vision, who she is in the middle of eating the upper half of Amber. The bottom half is already gone. Mom hears Amber crying somewhere in the house and goes down into the basement. She opens a chest to find a meaty, gooey cave inside. Uh, and she decides she's going to go in and check that out with her lamp. She finds what's left of Amber down there, who's crying in the dark. She also finds Izzy down there, and Izzy tells her this is her happy place. That's where she's at. Izzy pleads to mom to actually show her the hellbender inside of her, show her her true face. She does get a little uh, wild, crazy eyeless face. And Izzy's like, yes, thank you. But Izzy knows how hellbenders die. And mom says she's not afraid of Izzy. Izzy says she will be. Izzy's face is much more horrifying. She crushes Amber's skull with magic as a demonstration of, of what she's capable of. Then she tells mom she's not going to eat her because she loves her and she's not ready to have a little hellbender of her own yet. She is going to town, though. Does mom need anything? Mom says she needs bass strings and Izzy flies off in full monster form, presumably to go get bass strings and also probably eat and kill everybody. The end. I just think that she ate a few people, but not everyone. Like, the artist that made that cool-ass crown, like, I think she left her alive maybe maybe because yeah, i mean they look anyone who can still create badass metal outfits 
can yeah. still live in the new Izzy world order. Yeah, the Izzytopia. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Casey, I know you said you were excited to talk about this movie. What are your uh, sort of initial feelings on this one? Oh, my God. Okay, so <laughs> I am currently writing three unannounced books that are pregnancy horror because I ha- apparently have a lot of shit to work through from that. So this topic has never been off my mind since I started my folk horror movie. The thing that that I think about a lot as a human and I think about a lot in horror is the way that these little horrors we're exposed to in life. If you amplify them, they become something really meaningful. They become something that that lingers. And the first time I watched Hellbender, because I've watched it uh, quite a few times, is <laughs> and it, it actually happened with us joking around. A weird thing happens when you have kids is that people start like food shaming your kids and people start talking to you a lot, like unsolicited, about the choices you're making to raise your kids. When I first watched it, I was like, God, I wish my kid would eat like pine cones or like anything <laughs> I put on his plate. He'd never eat a worm. But what if you double dog dared him to eat no. the worm? Oh, he's so above that. Are you kidding? He would just like look me up and down and say, like, you need to find something to do. Uh, <laughs> yes. Damn, that's devastating. He, oh, my God. Yes. Daily basis. He rips my guts out. But so where the thing that has lingered with me from from this movie is what am I feeding my kids in every sense? In sense of exposing them to things in in the sense of like protecting them from things like what pop culture stuff am I feeding them? What am I protecting them from? And at some point, how do those outside influences become a parental figure of their own? And to me, that is like honestly one of the scariest things of this movie is being an adult and knowing better and knowing exactly the shit your kid's going to go through and you have to watch them go through it anyway and that you're going to respect everything more than you, even though you were once them. Yeah, totally. 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 And waiting for that other, other shoe to drop. Of, uh-huh. Like wh- whatever it is, whether it's a it's leaving the nest or the rejection of whatever, when they're trying to, to set out their own identity and, and kind of strike back a little bit, you know, and all, not all kids have the same method of that. Now, I'm not a parent. I'm just going to say that. But I have taught a lot of kids and seeing them progress from eight years old to 15 years old. Being a caretaker is just as hard and is the same shit. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I like teaching is that I can, I still can apply like parental knowledge and stuff like that, but I don't have to take them home and clean their asses. But also much respect to anybody who takes them home and cleans their asses though. Like, holy shit. Same. I don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like- I'm not a parent or a caretaker. I just feel confident enough to speak about matters I have no experience or knowledge in. I mean, we all have to at some point, for real, but like... We talk a lot about what we do if attacked by vampires on this podcast, (laughs) and yet my qualifications are pretty low. Uh, Well, pregnancy is being attacked by a vampire. Like, caretaking a kid is being attacked by a vampire. Like, you have this thing that you love and that is magical and mystical and changed your body and changed your life. Even if you're not the biological parent, you have this entity that has entered your life, has changed everything about you, 
and feeds off of you, feeds off of like your energy and your time and your experience and your patience. I feel like anybody who has been around a child for even like 45 minutes probably is wildly elevated in their abilities to fend off an actual vampire attack. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, and not I feel just like, because of the chi- of the kids, but also because your caretaking instincts. But Jeremy, continue. I, I feel like fighting off a vampire would be much easier because I'm not worried about hurting the vampire. Like, yeah, you know, that's that's the thing with kids is is figuring out how to navigate all these things. You say you're without not into- actually hurting them. You um, say you're not worried about hurting the vampire, but then next thing you know, you find it yourself and let and like uh, let the right one in. And now you got like Chloe Grace Moretz, like vampire being all adorable and shit. Oh, God. That's like the worst case scenario is vampire. It's like the meme, you know, what's worse than a vampire, a child vampire. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but I uh, this. Can you kill child Chloe Grace Moretz? Because I fucking can't. I mean, I'd rather not explode when being attacked by cats. I already do that. So. Yeah, this one really like hit me both in like the parent side and in the sort of monster movie side because I I admire a movie that goes for it because I feel like there's a lot of like there's a lot of crafts and things like that that they're like walk up to that line and then like no, I'm going to be the good one and I'm going to pull back and like this is a story about the good one who has then raised a kid who is full on, who is going full blown into being a monster again. And like, I'm, I'm all for like teen girl monsters at this point. Like that's an interesting and fun story. And I think a lot of horror and other types of of stuff are, are too worried about pulling back and, you know, letting the, you know, characters be redeemed and letting them choose not to do bad stuff. And, you know, I think the horror of having kids is who knows what they're going to choose. You can try and influence them all you like. And, you know, in fact, in the mother's case in this, it, it ends up having the opposite effect. Like she doesn't let her out. She doesn't expose her to anything. So she has nothing to do but like while away the time learning magic and eating people. But, but does like, have they're... the opposite effect because her mom's alive at the end. Yes. So yeah, like they have is... a great relationship. Like they're bonding over the magic. Yes. They are kissing and hugging after throwing blood on each other. Like, the, it, it's, it's almost like a cycle was broken, right? Like, mother took this hit and did this thing where she had to probably think every single day, my kid's going to hate me, my kid's going to hate me, my kid's going to hate me. And then in the end, like, there actually is a payoff because her daughter recognizes, like, I actually don't want to kill you. And... Maybe I'll just go into town a little bit more and you can stay home, but I'll get you bass strings and you're alive. Like, there's to the point where while there's these characters exploring and going through these these changes and their relationship and these just, again, I really like these scenes of bonding. Like, I was not expecting a training montage in my folk horror movie. And it is all these, like, wonderful scenes of bonding, but you do end up with a situation where it's like really up until the last 10 minutes. I was just thinking, watching the movies thinking it's like a movie without conflict. Interesting. And then it's like, literally it's not until like 10 minutes, the last 10 minutes that there's conflict between Izzy and the mother. Like open conflict. 
right it's, it's not a, a gradual it's not a gradual burn there's a lot going on there and and casey i really think I, it, it's really interesting you bring up pregnancy horror because pregnancy horror is something that we see a lot as a trope and mm-hmm. when it's criticized a lot of the time it's coming from men right or, or men, like male writers who are sort of all they have to really say about it is isn't that fucked up and it'd be weird if yeah wouldn't it be weird if like you could have like she had a million babies and they all like came out of her body in different ways david Cronenberg, and like alex garland thing, yeah there is a sort of uh horror to the death and rebirth situation but i feel like there is um a little bit more of an acceptance there where there's a lot of movies also about um parents denying their kids or running from their kids or you know all these other things izzy's mom really tries to embrace izzy and also let her know what she is and what she can do but what holds her she does hold back because of her own fear but she she tries her best to own up to it and there's no right way there's no right way to to parent a kid and I think that I really do like that this movie ends with them still kind of in conflict, but le- less of a, it's not an epic conflict. It is a very everyday fa- family conflict. Totally. You know, we don't have this horror of the child consuming the mother happening. As Ben said earlier, long enough timeline, right? We all are devoured, essentially. You can easily say that, like, you know, our time is devoured by children and our our, our time is or, or we are devoured by the next generation as we age, you know, and they they grow stronger or whatever. That's a really metal, like, reductive way of talking about it. But I think so that's the way it's supposed to be. I'm going to be it goes the other by, direction, then it's a problem. I'm going to be eaten by bald eagles. The most patriotic way to go. I mean, the, but that's another thing is that, like, you have a lot of these movies where they're depicting witches and a lot of what it is to be a witch is sort of be in that cycle and be and being accepting of that cycle and i'm not sure. talking about witchcraft like the uh, like the maiden mother crone like yeah stand the cycles of birth and redeath through going through them and seeing them play out yeah yeah and so it's less of a, a it's not like strictly wicca or strictly pagan whatever but it is I that kind of spiritual being part of the power in that is being accepting of the fact that you're going to be dust you're going to be bones you're not shying away from that but there's always going to be a conflict as to whether or not you really are ready for it and i think like oh sorry you know what sorry go ahead ben oh well part of what i just enjoyed was that it wasn't just straight up like witches that there did seem to be this commitment to like no, we came up with a new creature concept and we are going to like, and we're really proud of it. And we thought through like, because there is a sense it's like, these aren't humans who chose a different way. The, this is a different species of being. Yeah. And that brings me to my one complaint about this movie is the title Hellbender. Do we all know what a hellbender is? It's what a is kind it? of salamander, right? Yeah. So when I first watched this movie, I'm like, when are we going to get the salamander? There's no salamander. Like, they don't even talk about it in this movie. Now, 
I listen, the explanation to get to like, and that's why we're called Hellbenders. I'm like, that was a long walk to get there. You came up with the title and the name first and then worked backwards to find an explanation. Yeah, like, I think it would have been cool if they were like, and we are salamanders because we walk <laughs> into actually the... lizard people. Yeah. We are like, we are um, evolved in Salam. Remember the Super Mario Brothers movie? You know, the one from the 90s? Yeah, like that. Now, I, I, I mean, do appreciate like that Dennis this is Hopper. an instance, this is an instance where we have powerful women we have witchcraft we have magic and it doesn't have to boil down to having sex with satan at some point in the story because yeah, uh, I, I, I i get tired of that in like witch horror of like oh yes and i mean we talked about that in the vivich the like yes. point where it's just like and now time for sexy men satan to give you your powers it's like uh, all right that whatever. was a very sexy man satan though yeah and <laughs> Is he really a man? I mean, he's in a man's body because that's what she could perceive. But yeah. he was yeah. a goat before that. In, Again, in that movie, a male goat still. I, I don't love the Sith Lord rule of two. Like you have you can only give birth to the next generation once you've I guess this is a grandmaless society. No grandmas in this world. In this that's why they have the book. One of the things that I really, really responded to, and I'm not, I swear to God, I'm not promoting my own work when I say this, but. No, please promote your work. (laughs) We are are openly encouraging you to promote your work (laughs) as often as you possibly can, like, drop it into conversation. 100%. I write Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer, which is an alternate universe where Buffy is in her 50s to 60s and is dealing with what it means to, to be a woman of that age and also a slayer. And a large part of what I put into this was my experiences becoming a parent and then turning 40 and literally becoming invisible to everyone. And one of the things that really resonated with me about this movie was this idea of the mom rejecting that. So you say, like, there's no grandmas in this. We don't see old women in it. The oldest woman that we see in it is mother. And I feel like part of what she was trying to break was this sort of like baked in shorthand in horror for, and we see it all over A24, old is terrifying, right? Yeah. Old, nothing is creepier than an old body. And while that's sometimes true, there's also something about it that's like, that's actually kind of the most reassuring thing to see because that's somebody who survived. And the mother has like the daughter has this position and the mother has this position is like should I as a woman accept future invisibility like should I be prepared to hide my power am I teaching my daughter to hide her power because that's what's going to keep her safe and keep her around and maybe we can defy you know this sort of like Sith as Ben says like this Sith logic of the you know the young eats the old and to me that's like one of the most powerful things in this movie is undoing that fear of there can only be like one relevant woman on the screen at any given time or in life at any given time. And, and uh, is it worth the mom's sacrifice and what she did for all those years to have a relationship with her daughter that's so strong that we can break like this ultimate piece of patriarchy that says that when anything in a woman's body of a certain age is no longer valuable or interesting or something that we care about. And we end the movie saying that, like, maybe that's going to be true. Yeah. And in this case, it's not really like the patriarchy isn't it's the, the reason for all this is not 
blamed on specifically the patriarchy, but it is a patriarchal idea. Sure. Uh, they're confronting for sure. But they, yeah, yeah, yeah. they don't even need them. They have babies all on their own. They're fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have their own system. So, you know, the beginning of the movie, you see this sort of coven. And what we assume is that none of them made it or they're just gone or whatever because they got eaten by their own babies or whatever. Like, I've, I'm not sure exactly what happened to all those people, but it is pretty clear that whatever the mom is doing is not really accepted by the coven is definitely like a, a schism from that and yeah. also like maybe they're the last ones and so either way i mean they're isolated and i you know i don't think the movie needs to explain more of that um, maybe the rest turned into salamanders yeah maybe the rest turned into salamanders can i just i'm really sorry but i just have to say salamanders as of a sub like a not a subspecies but as a class or whatever amphibious lizards coolest names i've ever heard of for animals like salamander newt axolotl mud siren old siren is actually my gender exactly like come on like hellbender is my i want hellbender to be my gender i'm still kind of somewhere in ulm but it's a it's a journey it's a transition my Spec gender is a snapping turtle Bless. i don't want to Jeremy, I you did the amazing recap. I don't know if if this is like stealing thunder, but did you have any plans to talk about what what like Toby's inspiration was for making this movie? No, I mean I, I've read some of it, but I didn't really plan on. Okay, I didn't want to like steal anybody's thunder by mentioning it. Give Please. us, yeah, give no, give us the deets. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So I I thought it was really interesting. So she found out. I think she was 50 when she found out that she was conceived by a do by a sperm donor. And she found out that her, like the person who raised her was not her biological father and that the person who was the sperm donor was actually still alive and had more children. And she got to meet him and meet those siblings as an adult. And she had this moment of seeing like all of these personality traits and things in her half siblings that were so aligned with who she is and mm -hmm. she has a brother from her biological mom and the the dad and her dad who raised her. And she was like realizing, like, I have more in common with these strangers than I do with my own brother. And it was like this seed of this idea that stuck with her of nature versus nurture playing out like that, like of this this creature being removed from its biological parentage to be raised differently. And when we check in. Are they alike? Are they different? And I just like, I didn't know that the first time I watched it. And then the second time I watched it, knowing it, it was like, holy shit, like this is incredibly personal and you can feel it, even though yeah. Oh, yeah. that sort of story is buried. It's really beautiful and interesting to think about it, especially since the movie is with her kids and her husband. And it, like, just this idea of recreating and regenerating family and what that looks like. Totally. I feel like I just killed the conversation. No, no, no. Don't, no. don't worry about that. Because we, we do take pauses where we're like taking yeah. in new info. I mean, that's yeah. very interesting context. It just has more background to it. I mean, just it's a full look. It's vulgar horror. A lot of it is people just standing around feeling stuff. So sometimes the podcast about folk horror is just going to be us <laughs> sitting around. 
thinking and feeling about stuff. I mean, I love the the atmosphere of this movie. Like this movie has a lot of the atmosphere that other movies have that are not as cool as this movie is in terms of the what it's saying, how it's made, all that kind of stuff. Because a lot of this movie are writing. It's me no of- underworld. It's, we don't have that sleek, all style, no substance. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, there's third step. One day substance. we'll do underworld. One day. Is that your recommendation? No. <laughs> no. Not recommended um, doing a rope. But the That's like being like, did you like Schindler's list? Check out UA Bull's Blood Rain movie. Sorry, I just like my spirit tried to leave my body just then. Like it was like in there and it was like, let's go. And I'm like, I'm not ready. I know you I know they said UA Bull. But anyway. Yeah, no, this movie it has a lot of the atmosphere that slower movies do, that more kind of psychedelic movies do and yeah this movie isn't like a quick movie it's definitely in that a24 range of like look at the craft and there is a a sort of more subtle story here although i think it's it's more subtle than a lot of the a24 stuff but it's because it's a it's a character study and it is mostly about just this relationship and that isn't like that does not end in everybody dying and easy going into the woods to like live deliciously or whatever. And I'm into it. I think that that's a really cool, it's really cool decision. And it's what I wanted from the movie Hereditary and didn't get. Like when I saw the the poster for Hereditary that was like the mom of the daughter, I was hoping that there was going to be like there's a witch and she has a daughter and the daughter's cool and they like have they, they do witchy things together. Uh, no. not, not, not quite, not quite from hereditary. Absolutely not. They, and so, they do play in a treehouse together, which is really sweet. They play it's, in a treehouse with lots of naked guys. That's real... yeah. There's a lot. There is a treehouse. There's playing in it. I don't think I ever saw the daughter and the mom uh, in the treehouse at the same time. They sure yeah. were. It's just you might not have recognized the mom because her head was missing at that point. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. The yeah. daughter was inside the sun, and it, well, and her head was on the pyman thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. might be. Fucking yeah. were, you know what? It was parallel play. It's parallel play. It's fine. Right. Sorry, right. Developmentally important. So I, yes. I got to ask, I mean, I talked about it a little bit during the uh, during the recap, but how did you guys feel about the music in this? Oh, it uh, fucking ruled. Loved it. Uh, I want, like, so the, I want like a CD. No, all, all of the songs fucking ruled. And how amazing were their looks? Like their fashion so was on point every yeah. time. Their corpse paint was so good. Oh. All of it. The, I really like, want this music on a cassette tape, actually. Like, not a not yeah. a CD, not a yeah. MP3, and like but the I want, liner like, a notes need to be need to be handwritten in eyeliner. Yeah, or blood. I'll accept blood. A little bit of blood. Uh, I would accept menstrual blood. Any kind of blood for me. It doesn't matter where it comes from, as long as it's been dried for a while. Um, <laughs> does, does it really not matter where it comes from, Emily? No, it doesn't. After it's been dried for a while. I mean, it's, if it's the blood of children, you're all right with that. Like, it's... I mean, well, look, I... Chris Evans said babies taste best. Who am I to argue with Captain America? Okay, that's a Snowpiercer reference for any of y'all listening and wondering what the fuck I'm talking about. Oh yeah, I was like, I don't remember the captain saying that. <laughs> that was Snowpiercer. He turned that chair okay. around, sat down. He was <laughs> like, like, you know, kids, babies taste best. <laughs> it's a deleted scene. Oh yeah, he said. He said, "Baby says best," and then Mjolnir flew into his hand. You know, it's great human veal. Um, yeah, whoosh. I am worthy. Speaking of the, the bitch, like <laughs> we had a discussion 
on our Hocus Pocus episode about the uh, ethics of turning the baby into jam in order sure. to fly. We sure oh, Beth Medler don't give no fucks about the morality of that. She's grounding up that baby jam and putting it on her toast. Yeah, I mean, like, there was something to the mom in this movie. Also, her character in the movie would do that, too. Yeah, no, like she was she, I think she actually said like she likes babies on toast or whatever. I don't know. But the mom in this movie did say like, you know, we don't have to do this anymore. Like we don't have to do things like this anymore. Like we don't have to fly. We've got airplanes like we don't have to use our, our seeing stones and our seeing spells because we got cell phones, you know. Oh, because she wanted to know. Oh, right. OK. Yeah, that makes sense. The last shot where she fucking flies and then turns into a bad face like she's goddamn jared leto morbius smash don't, that about don't, don't compare her. these two movies that's not no, fair. That's... about her no no hell I, I was i wasn't the literal like last shot of the movie i was not prepared for like that guy just like just because she oh, said what? it was Morbid time doesn't mean that it's like Morbius, all right? <laughs> when she's she like lying down and the face transforms, I kind of lost it a little bit. I'm sorry. That's just, that's on me. She got her demon okay. driver's license. That's yeah. what she's going to go do. She, that is her hell given right. Yeah. You go to I think town, I was like, if you go to town, she's like, go on with that way. I'm going yeah. to town. Do you want it? She's like, based on like, oh, I'll be back. And then, like, fades out. I'm like, yeah, great ending. And then just, it's more been time. Now smash the credits. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Damn movie. was It did end with a bang. That is true. I mean, it, I'm really stretching here, but there is something about, like, living in the country and being isolated and, like, rejecting society. And that's kind of a double-edged sword in terms of messaging. I don't think this movie is really talking about that because, like, you see how that's a double-edged sword. And it's not really the point because this is... That's why one thing I really like about this being such a limited cast because we don't see as much of, like, oh, she it's so good on the other side or whatever. It's not about, like, whether society's better or whether she's better or whatever. There is a middle ground here. That is where that they are a literal different species kind of tripped me up a bit. Because, again, like, and it does make for, like, kind of the effective twist. Like, you go into this movie going, like, ooh, this level of isolation she's keeping her daughter in is clearly toxic and so unhealthy because it would be for any human. Yes. But then you get further and it's like, oh, but she's not human. And the mom says, like, well, we don't need human friends. We've always never had human friends. And it's like, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe she's right. Maybe they're maybe just not be, as social creatures. I don't maybe know. She should be less inclined to eat people if she knew some, though. This is all I'm saying. Right? Like, that's you know. definitely okay. one of the themes. But, but that movie was made in 2019 during lockdown, where all of us thoughtful people were keeping our kids at home for a good reason. Right. Yes. Yeah. So that our kids wouldn't get and potentially spread COVID to other people. And that's kind of why mothers keeping Izzy at home so that she won't eat people have to deal with yeah. all of this really scary shit that a teenage person should like kids should not have had to deal with learning about pandemic and all of that. Nobody needed to learn that at a young age. And that, that kind of resonated with me where I was like, I think if I had seen this before COVID, if this had come out before COVID, I would have been like, 
what good reason is there to keep your kid cooped up? Like they need to explode, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, no, no, no. I too kept my kid cooped up for their own good. And I get it now. Yeah, I do also wonder, like there's some, there's definitely some of that in there. And I wonder if there's not also some of this like intergenerational play of like, it's definitely a thing that's that's been the case between me and my parents of my parents are from a like school of, you know, oh, things are getting better. Don't push. They're sort of moderates. They're like, mm-hmm. you know, they they do. If there's something that seems horribly wrong to them, they will do something about it. But they're not going to like actively investigate and protest and, and punch Nazis. And there's a certain amount of like punch Nazis to this movie, right? There's like, oh, no we should still be dangerous. Like we should still be fighting and, you know, we should be monsters, you know. That's a really good point too, because I mean, there's, there's so much going into that, that dynamic, but it is really about to Jeremy eating half of a North Carolina town. Go for it. They're Um, already deep fried. So, you know, like, (laughs) I don't know. I don't think that grandma did anything wrong. I think he'll be a little bit more selective. I trust Jeremy that way. But for real, though, I think that there is a definitely an element of like, you don't have to play nice anymore. And it's it's folded in there because you also have the isolation, you know, without the context of COVID. But I think that context, you know, is it's not literal, but it is implied. But it is implied that she's very sick. And that is what she is told for most of the time is that she has an autoimmune disorder which apparently doesn't affect her if she's swimming in a pool or walking through the woods or doing whatever. Like, she's been eating pine cones, but she has an autoimmune disorder. I don't know how that works. But I don't, Nobody I'm not knows a how autoimmune disorders work. That's the problem. Yeah. Don't yeah, like I, I think, I mean, no going to our, turning to our questions here, I, I think it's safe to say that this movie is pretty feminist, right? Absolutely. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I think it's feminist in a way that is incredibly confrontational to feminism. I totally understand why it was made with the cast it was made on. This is not a critique of that. I do think that like a super relevant feminist movie needs to be intersectional. And uh, I think that that shouldn't be done. shouldn't be forced. It should be something that's natural, be something that that's organic with the movie. And that couldn't happen in this case because of how it was made. But I do think that it would be also interesting to see a similar story like this told from like the point of view of people of color. Yeah, yeah, I, I do think mm-hmm. at yeah, the point that like yeah. you you start hypothesizing about, I mean, and this goes for witchcraft and then these sort of like monster things. Once you start adding in the like, and also their black percentage of it, like there's a lot of things that have to rearrange and change then in ways that maybe this particular group of creators wouldn't necessarily be ready for. Um, wouldn't you know or like even the right people to tell that story yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. and this is one of those times that i do forgive a a lack of diversity because again yes yeah like it's not that's not the point of the movie Um, yeah and like it wasn't like they called central casting and chose an all-white cast it was like we do have a black park ranger and he he does survive so yeah at least as far as we know uh, Until he gets morbed. I, I'm sure he's fine. She's going to town. She's not going to bother the park ranger. Obviously, she's seen like she's been on Zoom. She's seen YouTube because I could tell by her mannerisms and her vocabulary that she is hip with times. Yes. You know, 
in a way like she's not she's not like a mormon cult in the middle of the woods kind of the bad ones yeah she's not like stunted and yeah doesn't know what year it is or who the president is yeah yeah obviously she's been listening to some dope music because you know she's got got good taste she writes she writes the music and the lyrics for the stuff so yeah it's an interesting hypothetical in some ways in the class i don't feel like this movie that really does a lot to deal with class it's sort of outside of class in a way and yeah we did talk about you know there is one black person in the cast and they are a bit part but also this is a like movie made by a a family during covid like this is not a ramshackle cabin they're hiding out in. This is a very nice house they it's have. It's a really nice house. It is a nice house. It's an old house, but it's a nice house. There is a little bit of a class with the fact that the local teens are take advantage of this like weekend lodge that this family has, the city family, which yeah. you know. Is, and all- where does this take place? Is this in the Ozarks? I mean, no, it, it's in saying- upstate New York, right? It's right. I think that's- still hellbenders up there hellbenders are native to the ozarks too the actual the lizard ones i just saw like yep shithead teens cruising inside like just breaking into someone's like nice place they only go into on vacation i'm not seeing any ocean i'm seeing forest so i'm just going to assume ozarks jason bateman somewhere around the corner oh wait jason bateman sorry i not patrick bateman not patrick bateman that's a different movie He's um, he's a lot further towards the ocean. Patrick Bateman goes to the Ozarks. Feels like a direct-to-DVD sequel with an entirely different cast that I wouldn't watch, but I would really enjoy YouTube takedowns of. It's called Hannibal. <laughs> like, for real, though? Now, this, as far as we were talking about intersectionality and as far as any sort of lgbtqia plus stuff there's i mean it's it's minimal it's there i feel like there's definitely an implication that that izzy is queer um i don't think it's minimal i think yeah that i mean like it's not really drunk in the with. basement i think we all know what that is yeah yeah she's eating her friend amber in her mm-hmm. gut in her meta gut slash uterus that she created with magic and plus i think there's just Again, even if it isn't quite as feminist as Wonder Woman's origin, there is always something in that, like, this is a family of women that reproduces without men having any role whatsoever. Yeah. And I feel like it's safe to say that, to me, any meaningful horror movie, any horror movie that, like, that resonates with you or that you think about is inherently queer. Any monster movie, any transformation movie, all of that is so queer. It's, it is just like without teenage girls and queer people, there would be no horror. And I think that like the degree of subtlety changes. Yeah. But to me, this felt very, very queer. It's definitely coming from a little bit more of a queer. I mean, I don't know for sure how queer the creators are, but it's definitely coming from that place of an informed someone who is familiar enough with the experience which is it's just more to say about with horror movies that are definitely about being other, but they there's a lot of cishet dudes that made horror movies that didn't realize like, oh shit, but this movie definitely was embracing that. And I do like a movie that doesn't go over the top with it, that doesn't have to say like, okay, we're going to make these girls kiss or whatever. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, if that's right for the movie, awesome. You know, I'll like... 
If it's good for the story, great. I'm glad that this is this was not an overly sexual or like barely even sexual movie because that wasn't the point of it at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, no. it's not all. It's not about sex. It's about something the, the, entirely. I mean, it, you could say it's you, you there know. There has never been arguably. There's never been a least a less sexualized bikini scene in a movie. Yeah, I mean they. It was interesting what they did with the gaze, like Izzy's gaze. And that was definitely like sexualizing in a way, but it was never uncomfortable. It was like, innocent. And yeah, like, it, was, it was like age appropriate. Yeah. Teenage girl checking out another teenage girl. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. she's no more interested in specifically like Amber's body than she is in Amber's barrettes. Like she is yeah. very excited about the barrettes. Yeah. And, you know, just she's she is obsessed with her and i feel like yeah i, I feel it's like Casey, real, you're, you're really wanna... on the point there of like it is not a movie that really talks about being queer or queerness but it's all sort of it's baked in there um, i mean i really do way. feel for izzy on a level of like growing up teenage and it's already such a rush of hormones like you already have to deal with that like do i want to be her or do i want to be with her but then Izzy has to tackle this third option of, or do I want to eat her? I that was always, and, and that's a whole that, other that a distinct third option. I, I, I think that's that happening was, either way for her. Absolutely. Fair. Didn't y'all like when you were teenagers? Didn't y'all ever want to like eat? Just you just were so into somebody you just wanted to eat them. Cool. I'm glad we're all on board with this. This <laughs> is this about Trade Reser again? <laughs> well, I got that. I if, if anything, I got that idea from him. Like yeah. Yeah. Oh, he said also, it first. He did say it first, and then I—that's when I was like, "Oh, there's a word for that." Oh, yeah. This also walks a very fine line, especially seeing that the actresses that play Izzy and Amber are sisters. It's really like, oh yeah, a tough place yeah. to be. You this, know what? I, bit. If if that is the case, then I'm very glad they didn't make those make that a romance. Then yeah, good good call movie. Yeah, I mean, there are movies where you have. Don't Sisters. Lannister your don't do a Lannister just for movie magic. No, no, never do a Lannister for movie magic. Stop right now. If you're thinking about it, stop. You don't Joe, don't do a Lannister for any particular reason. Just say no to twin sets. I, I think that's what the Game of Thrones is having sex with a relative, right? That's yeah. all the fucking fire and uh, fire and ice or whatever the fuck fire song it, of ice and fire shit. It's enough that if I'm a woman cousin of George R. R. Martin, I'm maybe keeping a wide berth at the family reunion. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like this is probably not something anybody has voiced before, but we've probably all thought is that George R. R. Martin is really just V.C. Andrews with dragons. I mean, yeah. Snap. Yeah. Snap, <laughs> snap, 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 snap to that. <laughs> you, you made me get out of focus. Not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeremy went <laughs> right out of focus with that. Jeremy, sure. before like the second that you're you're like right before your camera comes on, like there's this subliminal flash of like Mothman or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going on with that. I don't know. Maybe it's his Hellbender coming out. Yeah, Jeremy, just don't just watch out for the bridge. Me and Richard Gear will we'll keep an eye out. Watch out um, for Richard Gear. I always watch out for Richard Gear. Yeah. <laughs> I well, am always watching out for Richard Gear, just in case. My son is in a big art phase and this is going to do the podcast people listening no good but i'm about to show the other people i'm on zoom with my son's interpretation of mothman 
because he's currently obsessed with him. And oh my god, Rad! He, that's below. Stop. Let me just turn this fuzz off. Okay, so below Mothman is the. Can you just stop? Okay, is the broken neck or the the broken boned kitty? Uh, that Mothman is coming to help because my kid's Mothman is benevolent. Oh, what a good Mothman. But, oh, yeah. There is a bridge that Mothman is flying over. I get desperate for bedtime stories. He, <laughs> did, you, did, he, did you tell him about the bridge? Okay. I did. I told him about the Silver like, Bridge disaster. I didn't tell him about like Indrid Cole or Richard Gere. He's a little young for Richard Gere, but he's not too young for Point Pleasant Mothman. Yeah, I think I'm too young for. It went way in a few years before uh, Pretty Woman. Gotcha. For yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, that's a bit much. Like it's kind of gross that you even say that. Honestly. <laughs> hey, I know I was exposed to Pretty Woman at that age. So just think of all. The- I was. My parents were so worried about showing me anything with nudity, but they were fine with like Pretty Woman, and I saw Alien Three at an unusually young age. I saw a lot. I've seen Dirty Dancing several times. By the time I was like five, was Richard um, Gere in Alien Three? That's a very different no. Alien Three. <laughs> no. If only, no. if only. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if it would have made it better. I, it you wouldn't know. have made it. It different. wouldn't have made it worse. Yeah. Uh, they they cut him out. I think of, it would have. But he was in one of the scenes they cut. You know? Oh, oh no. right. He was the the alien came out of him originally. Yeah. Then the dog. <laughs> God. Yeah, my folks were like watching Twin Peaks and they're like, hey, check it out. I'm like, my parents have never watched Twin Peaks. Still not about to. My dad took his eye off the ball and I ended up watching Mortal Kombat at age five and my parents just gave up after that. Yeah, what can you can't put that back in the box? No, no, the genie was out of the bottle. You can't can't put that spine back in the. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm, body. I'm, I'm five and I'm watching like men get frozen and their torsos just explode in ice shards. I'm like, yep, this fucking rules. We're watching this movie every six months for the rest of my life. Like That actually uh, feels like kind of a, a good first horror movie because it's so goony and so improbable. So yeah, it's like, pretty good. That's a movie for kids. Like, fully, like that's a movie oh, for I lo- girls. For the record, I loved it. Yeah. You know, like, I talk about frequently on here, I think how weird it is that we don't make as much like spooky stuff for kids anymore. There's no like spooky Jim Henson stuff anymore. That's, you know, something at that level that's coming out. There's very few like so much stuff that's supposed to be scary aimed for kids is like below goosebumps level. Well, in America, that's true. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I'm going to completely mispronounce this name if. Does anybody here speak German? A little bit. Okay. Do you know about what is his? Uh, his name is Bernd das Brot, and it is like this beloved German children's cartoon about this like horrible piece of bread that is clinically depressed. I'm not making any of this up. Um, I yes, yeah, I haven't heard of. I I just looked it up, and yes. Yeah, so it's been it's been on for like years and years and years. And the whole point of this character is like not demystifying or normalizing depression. Like he's just a super depressed piece of bread. It's like an educational science show that's also kind of horror. Like they explain black holes and the heat death of the sun to like a, an audience of five-year-olds. And amazing. One more quick thing that I will send you all this link because if Somebody told me about this and didn't send me a link. I'd be like, you are making this up. 
there is this Indian children's show called Dr. Binox. And it is basically like a sentient mustache with arms. And I supervise my kid watching iPad. Like, I'm right there with him. And this one day he's watching and I hear like this voice start talking about exploding whale carcasses. I'm like, did you get on adult YouTube? Like, what? I look. Mm -mm, No, this is animated. Dr. Binox explaining how we need to avoid rotting whale carcasses that just wash up on beaches because they'll explode. It does a full animated whale carcass explosion, a full internal exploration of a whale carcass explaining all of the different bacterias that you encounter. And it's like this PSA to warn kids. Whoever the kids in this audience are have a lot of unsupervised access to whale carcasses because it's like this PSA of don't climb them. That's the whole point of it. So there is great horror being made for kids. It's just not being made here. I feel like kids are just watching YouTube and like creepypasta. Like I have never, they just go on Roblox. Like that's all the horror they get is Roblox. Roblox is terrifying. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, from the yeah, start. Yeah, just, kids my kids find days. the weirdest thing on things on Netflix stuff that I'm like, what are you watching? Like, uh, I don't know if, if anybody has experience with Bread Barbershop. The, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the uh, I believe it's Korean. Yeah, it's a French South Korean uh, children's animated television series about a, a a bread who has a barber shop, and it it reminds me of if you watch Steven Universe, he watches a show called Crying Breakfast Friends. It's like the first <laughs> time God. I saw the show, I was like, "Is this Crying it's Breakfast real. Friends? Is is it real?" I, I it mean. Was- like honestly when it comes to children's entertainment like moomin like the moomin cartoon and how it's like the first episode of that cartoon from the 90s like the 70s one was just unhinged but that was the 70s but the the moomin the 90s moomin cartoon i love it i love it to death i love it i'll watch it anytime anyplace anywhere but it comes with some really upsetting like existential horror where you know Moomin turns into a weird little creature and then nobody recognizes him and he's like freaking out and only the like rec- the power of his mother can remind him of who he truly is and okay, bringing it back around to, to I would, yeah Hellbender. I was gonna say that's just, that's the original Hellbender yeah we're yeah right back to it it's Moomin so when was, go ahead go sorry I was just saying so my recommended recommendation is Moomin again. There's a number of other things, but yeah. I was I was going to say, I mean, we're almost at recommendation time here. Before we get to that, do we recommend that people watch this movie? Uh, Absolutely. So go check it out. Definitely. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's still on Shutter. However it is, you get to Shutter, whether it's through Shutter or through Amazon. Just it's there. I mean, along with so many other great horror movies, like go check it out. Like Malignant. Oh, wait, no, that's not Shutter. That's no. HBO. No, it's Max. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not television. It's not HBO. It's Max. The one where HBO is on. Yeah. Yeah. That said, uh, what else would we recommend for people who uh, have enjoyed Hellbender or who uh, are looking for other other good horror stuff to check out? Casey, did you have anything off the top of your head or we'll come back to you? Yes, I do. So as we were talking, I was thinking about hearing all your stories of like your early horror I had very permissive parents who did not give a shit what I read or watched. But if it was so scary that I had to come sleep in their bed, 
that's when it became a problem and I couldn't watch it anymore. So I watched a lot of stuff I shouldn't have. But I also watched stuff that was made for me at my age. And those are two of the things I'm going to recommend. These are not exactly folk horror, but I don't exactly think that Hellbender is either, although it, it's flavored with folk horror. I think that it does a lot of things differently in some very smart ways. But so let's flash back to the 80s, to some Disney live action movies. The first one is called Watcher in the Woods. And I'm sure everybody on this podcast has heard of it. But if you haven't, it stars Betty Davis as a really terrifying old lady in the woods. It's set in the English countryside, which is the perfect spot for folk horror. And it involves things that you probably never thought a Disney movie would involve, like like time-space continuums and rituals in abandoned churches and all kinds of things. Oh, they um, made the black hole. I did. They fucking went there. That was like Disney Adventures Event Horizon. It's amazing. Like that period of Disney movies is just very weird. Yeah. Like, this is not a recommendation, but have any of y'all seen Thomasina? I haven't. Mm-hmm. I've seen John Cena. If you ever, if you, ever really wanna, if you ever really want to fuck yourself up, go watch the go watch Thomasina. You will not ever be okay again. So Watch her in the woods, and then the second one is the Disney version of Something Wicked This Way Comes, an adaptation of the Ray Bradbury novel. It has Jason Robars, who I'm sure nobody remembers anymore, but I'm terrifically old. Another great sort of like familial, what does it mean to age and what is my relationship with the rest of the world like sort of vibe that I think anybody who liked Hellbender would probably not necessarily seek these movies out as a recommendation but to me they feel like they live in the same world i agree totally awesome emily what do you have well i, I said moomin um sure, sure i would say the vivich because it's sort of a good contrast like it's a compare contrast thing there's a really weird movie that i actually haven't seen and i would love to recommend it just so people can seek it out and find it and i can talk to them about it because it's on my list and I'm, I'm, i'll just go and ha- go ahead and watch it now so watch it and tell emily if it's good or not and tell me if it's good it's called black moon and it's a really weird i think it's german kind of alice in wonderland story that occurs in the woods and stuff i don't know if it's all like above board i don't know if it's like weird or awkward or creepy but if you like weird shit in the woods and there's a lot of weird shit in the woods movies that I don't want to recommend with this one. Some of which I like, some of which I don't. Antichrist. But the 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 woodsiness of this movie, I think, definitely like find some good. Or oh, and watch Dark, the German series, if you like weird shit happening in the woods and like legacy stories. Emily, you should watch Black Moon. It's so good. You've seen it. Okay, good. Phew. It's. It's really, really beautiful and surreal. And like, yeah, you would love it. Yeah. This is I, the 1975 film. Black yes. Moon? Yeah. I have not seen it's, it. It's like but... a little bit more fantasy than horror. And there's like a futuristic element, but it totally good recommendation. Thank you. I'll have to go watch it now that I've recommended it. So, Ben, what about yourself? I'm going to keep my recommendation on the theme of mother daughter stories. And recommend everything everywhere all at once. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you know that we're a week out. We're not all recommending Barbie for everything anymore. Um, well, when we're watching men. That's sure going to be awkward when it coming out, when the episode comes out like three months after Barbie hit theaters. Hope, 
Maybe he'll be streaming. I hope, uh, maybe he'll be nostalgic for listeners going like, oh, yeah, I remember that Listen, week where we only gave a fuck about Barbie and nothing else. Thematically, it's a hell of a double feature. It Barbie really and men so really. Yeah, they, like, they have a lot to say to each other. Yeah, that was a, a total accident that I ended up watching Barbie in the theater and then coming home and watching men to talk about on the podcast. And immediately afterwards was like, I'm writing a paper about this. These two things are very closely connected. Yeah, that was wild. On the subject of pregnancy horror, I wanted to recommend uh, one of the more unusual and actually female penned one of those, which is Prevenge, which is also on Shudder, if last I checked, which is a a movie about uh, a woman who is pregnant when her husband dies under semi-mysterious circumstances on a climbing trip where he's a you know a coach and everybody else makes it back but him. And so her unborn child starts directing her and seeking revenge for the child's father's death. Ten um, out of ten, no notes. <laughs> yeah, the the child is driving her to uh, murder people. It's a weird combination, like horror comedy thing. A percentage that you you can't even really guess until you've seen the movie, like what where the humor is coming in and where the uh, actual horror is. But yeah, definitely definitely worth a, a watch can i make one more recommendation please sure so i was as you all were talking i was like thinking about the theme of like withholding power from teenage girls and uh, it's not necessarily a horror movie although it's scary but the virgin suicides is so similar thematically to hellbender but if it just went in a different direction because of the relationship with the parents yeah and I think it's a, a really great 180 to explore if you really like what's going on in Hellbender and you like like a juicy, atmospheric, beautiful movie with Good really music. great, yeah, really great music, really great teenage actors, a different narrative, but also like claustrophobic and beautiful in the same way the inside of the house in Hellbender is like layers and layers of girl bedroom. Super, super good recommendation for it. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a really long time, and I'm gonna have to watch that again because I've, I've, I, I remember it very fondly. Um, if you haven't read the book, yeah, totally suggest that. I reread it every summer. It just feels like oh, a yeah. summer book. It's great. Awesome. On that note, Casey, can you let people know where they can find you online and find out more about projects you're working on, stuff you have coming out? I am most active on Instagram. My handle is shark fight, shark underscore fight, or you can just search for Casey Gilly. I'm also on Blue Sky. So as people are getting more and more into that site, I'm on there just as my name. Twitter is a corpse at this point. I don't really update it much. I have one if you want to go poke in the ruins. So I would say those are probably the best places to find me. I'm really bad at social media. That's okay because social, social media is bad. bad at social media right now too. Yeah, so. like I don't even have a website. I should probably have a website. Yeah, so that that is where you'll find sure. me. I'm uh, badly promoting myself. Yeah, and uh, Emily, where can uh, where can people find you? I do have a website. It's basically a card. Megamoss.net goes to a lot of different things that I do, but mainly to Instagram, Mega underscore Moss, and I'm in Mega Moss on Blue Sky, and I have a Patreon, so Mega Moss on there. Once you're done subscribing to Progressively Horrified, you can come check out my Patreon, too. So, again, that's Mega Moss. You can suppose it's the same thing. 
Awesome. And uh, Ben, what about you? Uh, yes, check me out at BenConComics.com. Sign up for my newsletter that I'll be launching soon. Oh, you um, show off. <laughs> uh, uh, various news and updates because social media is on fire. And I'll call it pros and con. Be very clever with it like that. That's really good. Really good. <laughs> That's really yeah. good. And, but yeah, on the social media platforms, find me at Blue Sky at Ben Con Writes at Twitter at Ben the Con, and what else? Oh yes, my novel uh, L Campbell Wins Their Weekend is out from Scholastic October seventeenth. Now, awesome. As for me, you can still find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome five eight. That's J R O M E five eight. I am on. Both Blue Sky and Tumblr is just Jeremy Whitley, jeremywhitley.tumblr.com. And my website is jeremywhitley.com. I'm slowly planning on actually doing something to that to make it worth being at, <laughs> to, to, <laughs> worth finding. And you, uh, if you haven't already, you can go uh, pre-order the second volume of School for Extraterrestrial Girls with me and Jamie Nicucci, uh, which is coming out in November. Or now you can pre-order The Cold Ever After, my queer Arthurian noir story that uh, I'm doing with Titan with my artist Megan Wong, which is, is coming out in February, but is already up on Amazon and various other book websites. As of when this is coming out, I think the first issue of My Little Pony Classics Reimagined, The Unicorn of Odd should already be out. So you can go read The Pony Wizard of Oz and have yourself a great time. As for the podcast itself, uh, we're on Patreon at Progressively Horrified, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, and on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod. We would love to hear from you. We'll probably be setting up something on Blue Sky and or Instagram sometime soon, since Twitter is now 10. And speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love it if you'd rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it. Giving us five stars helps new listeners find the podcast, and that uh, is good for everybody. Thanks again to Casey for joining us. Casey, this was fantastic. This is like, I love this movie. I'm so glad we got to talk to you about it. Thank you. This was super fun. I don't want to stop talking, but that's, you know, yeah. because I kind of live alone or live an isolated life and I miss having friends. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank on you so much. About this thank you for having me. You're welcome to come back anytime. Mm-hmm. We're always here talking yeah. about some scary movie or other. So. We should podcast together for the inevitable My Little Pony A24 film. Hell yeah. I thought that was Black Moon. Yes. <laughs> the movie has a uni- unicorn in it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, uh, as always, to Emily and Ben for being here. And thanks to all of you for listening. And until next time, stay horrified. <laughs>